Don't you love the ending there? This is taking forever. That kid is a kid after my own heart, I must say. I love his answers. Reminds me of my boys. So I'm glad everybody's here. Uh, We are actually entering week six of our current series that we started on Easter. And the name of the series is called The Way to Life. And really what we've been doing in this Way to Life series is we've been talking about spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines that lead us to a life full of God. Jesus says that he came to give life and give it abundantly. And there are practical things we can do to draw closer into his presence. And the disclaimer every week has been the same, that doing these practices doesn't somehow just make you more holy and doesn't earn your way to heaven. That's not what these are about. There's no way you can earn your way to heaven. Only Christ can give that. And there's no way you can pay God back for the gift. But there are practical things we can do to nurture our relationship with God. And that's what looking at these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices are all about. And so we, being on week six, we've already covered several. Uh, Does anybody remember what we covered on week one? I'm going to test your memory. Here's your pop quiz. On Easter Sunday, do you remember what we discussed? Jesus. That's always the answer. Monty's got the church answer right there. Jesus. Worship. We discussed worship as a spiritual discipline. That's often one of the easiest ones for us to plug into, and it's not just a Sunday morning thing, though Sunday morning plays into that. It's a whole life thing, but we often forget about worship being a spiritual discipline uh, because it doesn't always come easy, does it? It's tough to worship God if you're going through a tough time in your life, and sometimes it's really tough to just get here on Sunday morning. I'm not going to point out any names. Uh, Second, anybody remember what we discussed? Prayer. That's right, Neil's on it, and he just got back from Canada. Come on. (laughs) So we we discussed prayer, and there were different forms of prayer. It's really a communication, a dialogue with God, right? And so we discussed worship, prayer, and does anybody remember what week three was? Henry. Fasting. Fasting. Henry was there. He remembers it. So we talked about fasting, that it's not just like a hunger strike or a diet plan, but fasting is a spiritual tool to help draw us into the presence of God. And then week four, this is a little tricky because we actually didn't meet on week four, but we had a home devotional for everybody to do where they were gathered, and that was, actually it was before, th- it was before that, sorry. It, we, we met this week. It was meditation, sorry. Me- meditation, so it was the next week. You're right, celebration. I got my weeks all mixed up. So we talked about meditation, and we discussed that there's a difference between Christian meditation and other forms of meditation, especially that are uh, prominent in Eastern religions and Eastern cultures, and that there was a a difference about not so much an emptying yourself as a filling yourself with the Holy Spirit and with God, Uh, but that scripture does speak of meditation, and there was a lot of overlap between meditation and prayer, and that was okay, and then we did our week of celebration. We celebrated Mother's Day. Everybody, so many people were traveling for Mother's Day. We were celebrating, so we were living into that practice. But so often we don't think about celebration being a discipline. Celebration is a discipline. We need to lift up. We need to celebrate. It's looking at the blessings of God and, and voicing that. And then this week, we're going to touch on one more. This week, we're going to discuss solitude. Do we have any hermits in the room? It's ironic that you're here gathered with people, isn't it? The irony is not missed upon me. We're going to talk about solitude, but before we go any further to talk about solitude, let's go to God in prayer. So let's pray. 
Almighty God, we thank you for this day that you've given us. This is the day that you have made, so we rejoice and we are glad in it. We are so glad that we can gather in community together to listen to your word, to hear the urgings of your spirit, and we pray that everything would be glorifying to you. As we dig deeper into this idea of solitude that scripture speaks into our lives, this discipline, this practice, we pray that you would silence any voice in us but your own. And Lord, I pray as a humble preacher, as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. So I want to start out with a question for you, one that I've kind of been pondering this week. Do you ever fear loneliness? Does anybody here ever fear loneliness? Sometimes? Do you like spending prolonged periods completely by yourself, completely isolated? Monty's over there, okay. So you should have raised your hand with the hermit piece. You know, loneliness and the fear of loneliness is something I've dealt with my whole life. It's a great fear of mine. Don't get me wrong. I like to go away and be by myself. But the idea of being alone for the remainder of my life scares me. In fact, it's the topic of nightmares that I've had over the years. And some of the movies that have come out over all the years kind of highlight this. You know, the apocalyptic films where you're, you're walking into a world that everyone has died. Can, I mean, can you really imagine walking down a freeway into a major city and there being nothing. I mean, isn't that eerie to think about? Walking down this major highway, there's cars out, but they're just abandoned on the side of the road. And where you would normally hear engines and roads going across the freeway, there's no sound at all. And then you're walking into the city, and all you see are abandoned buildings. Where there's once hustle and bustle, there is silence. There's echoes, and there's dark corners. And now barring that there's no zombie apocalypse or some viral pandemic or that that's not an alien invasion, just think of it just lingering on that silence. How would that feel? How would it feel to be the last person on earth? What do you think? You think it'd be scary? I think it'd be scary too. Anybody else? Would that be a terrifying thing? I mean, maybe it would be exciting at first. You're thinking, oh, great, I can run through the city, do whatever I want. I can break into the store and have all the fishing equipment. But I think after a while, it would be super eerie to think it is just me. It, we, we weren't built to be isolated and alone, were we? We were built for community. And I think one of the movies that actually captures this sentiment the best is the movie Castaway. Anybody seen the movie Castaway? So the movie Castaway is an interesting movie because you have Tom Hanks who plays a FedEx worker. He's a higher up, but he catches a ride on a plane over the Pacific Ocean, and the plane goes down, and he's the sole survivor of this crash, and he crash lands on this isolated Pacific island out in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere near shipping lanes, nowhere near anywhere. And here he is on this island, and the movie really centers around his survival and overcoming this loneliness and learning how to live. And it's an interesting movie because so many movies are full of so much dialogue, 
And this is one of those movies that actually the whole middle part of the movie, there's very little dialogue. Because who does he have to talk to? But then one of the interesting scenes is then later on, some packages from the crash wash ashore. And he starts going through them and finding useful items. Like he finds a, a pair of ice skates that he's able to use as like a big knife and to chop open coconuts to eat and things like that. But one of the use, most useless items, least practical, is a Wilson brand volleyball. But if you've seen the movie, you learn that this volleyball that would be completely impractical on an island. I mean, who are you going to play volleyball with? You're just going to build a net and run to each side playing? I mean, it doesn't work that way. And so what use would you have a volleyball, but then a chance of things happening, it gets a bloody handprint on it that kind of looks like a face, and then he gives an identity to this volleyball and names him Wilson. And as this time goes on, I mean, Wilson becomes a person to him. I mean, can you imagine talking to a volleyball? But if you're that lonely and you're, you're seeking connection, seeking relationship, a volleyball will do. I mean, he spills his guts. He talks to this volleyball. It's his best friend. He takes him everywhere he goes on the island. And then when he ultimately tries to escape the island on a raft, he takes Wilson with him and straps him in like with a seatbelt. And one of the most heartbreaking parts of the movie is when he loses Wilson at sea because of a storm. In the genuine tears that he cries of losing a friend, his only companion. I mean, it just, it tugs your heartstrings. I mean, I, I found myself getting tears in my eyes. I'm like, I'm crying over a volleyball. <laughs> but it's heartbreaking because that is his connection. And don't we seek that kind of connection? Can you imagine yourself being in that kind of situation? Being completely, absolutely, utterly alone. I think deep down, none of us truly want that. Sure, we want some escape from time to time, but we don't want to be alone because, you know, I, I wonder as I ponder this topic of solitude, if our fear of loneliness actually drives us to noise and crowds. Because I would vow to say most everybody in this room, if not everybody, is incredibly busy. If I said, you're incredibly busy, how many people would agree with me? Yeah, I think just about every one of us would say, we're incredibly busy. I've got so many things. I mean, I've got, you better hurry up, Pastor, because I've got to get out of here. We have lunch plans. We're going to go. I mean, we, we schedule our lives. We are so busy, and we flock to places of noise, don't we? And the irony is not lost on me that as I preach on this, where I spent most of my time working on this sermon was a noisy coffee shop. I could go sit in a library, but I actually find I do better being around people in the noise. And sure, I can isolate them out with my headphones, which... The irony, again, is not lost on me that I go to a noisy place and put on headphones to drown out the noise. But yet there's something about being around people that I want. I could go sit somewhere else, but no, I want to be in a coffee shop. And we, we listen to the radios. I mean, how, many, how often do you drive in the car by yourself and you're listening to the radio? Have you ever turned off the radio? It just sat in silence. Maybe from time to time you've done that. But I say the vast majority of us are listening to music, doing this. We're making phone calls. Talking, never texting, <laughs> never texting. But we're busy, even in our cars and then in our homes. Have you ever been alone for a long extended period and then you just turn on the radio, you're not even listening to it, it's just background noise or the TV. You ever done that? There's something about loneliness that drives us toward noise. 
and the crowds. And I really wonder, is this healthy for us to always be drawn toward noise, towards stuffiness, towards busyness, towards everything being overloaded in our lives? When we fill our life with noise, is there any room for anything else? T.S. Eliot has a great quote about our culture and the noise. He said, we, where shall the world be found? Where will the word resound? Not here. There's not enough silence. If I asked you to add something else to your schedule, you'd probably start panicking, wouldn't you? It's like, oh, I can't do that. I've already, everything's already full. I can't do one more thing. Are we making room for silence? Are we making room for life? You know, this whole series is about the way to life, pursuing this abundant life that Jesus talks about. Because we, we agreed at the first week that when Jesus says, I came to give life and give it abundantly, he's not just talking about eternal life. Yes, eternal life is the gift of grace that's given to us. But it's not just about a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not just about getting beyond death. It's about right here and now. We can have this abundant life right here and now. But are we making room for it? Or are we just too busy? Does our fear of loneliness lead us to overbook our lives and overschedule our calendars? Are we too afraid to be still and to be silent? You know, maybe stillness Silence and solitude is exactly what we need. Would you agree with me that maybe we need a little bit more space for silence? A little more space to breathe. A little more space to just be. It's interesting when we look at Jesus' last few years of life when his ministry was really up and going on several occasions, we've already drawn attention to this. And the passage that Rachel read for us earlier speaks to it yet again. When things get busy and crazy, what does Jesus do? He goes away. He withdraws. Okay, here's the Son of God, who we say is God, and he finds it important to withdraw from the crowds. And yet he came for them, but he draws away. Time and time again, Jesus withdraws for a moment. And here at the climax of his story, I mean, right before his arrest and, and all the judgment and things to come, his crucifixion, right when he knows all of that is on his doorstep, he withdraws from the people that are closest to him to pray and to commiserate with God and to be in anguish. Maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something. In witnessing Jesus, we are seeing that solitude has an important part in our life. The purpose of solitude is to confront our fear of loneliness. Because there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. And I think before we continue, I think we need to draw that distinction. Of what is the difference between loneliness, this thing that we fear, and solitude, this thing that without even knowing it, sometimes we crave. Richard Foster puts it this way. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. I'll say that again. Loneliness is inner emptiness, and solitude is inner 
fulfillment. If you remember when we talked about meditation, we talked about the differences between the different types of meditation that so often the Eastern practices of meditation are all about emptying yourself and detaching yourself from everything. While when we looked at scripture of what meditation we were talking about there that we'll just call Christian meditation was not about detachment and emptiness. It was actually about filling ourselves and attaching ourselves to the thing that matters, the person who matters, to Christ. That that was the big difference. It's not about emptying yourself to just be a part of the cosmos, the cosmic energy, the force, whatever, the karma, whatever you want to call it. But it was about attaching to God. And solitude is that. Solitude is not about detaching, except maybe detaching from our busyness so that we can attach to God. It's about a relationship. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. He, he's uh, a pastor, a theologian, and author, and he did his own translation or interpretation of scriptures, and it's called The Message. And in it, he quotes uh, Lamentations. And in uh, Lamentations, he says this. Let's see. Keith, can you advance the slide for me? Thank you. There we go. When life is heavy and hard to take off. We'll come back to it. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. This is his understanding of Lamentations 3. And I thought it was interesting. It's a different wording than you hear in most other translations, but I love how he puts it. Enter the silence. Enter the silence. How often do we enter the silence? Do you ever enter the silence? When things get heavy and hard and busy, do you run to more busyness? Or do you enter the silence? Silence and solitude really go hand in hand. In fact, if you wanted to, you could call this practice solitude and silence. Because you really can't have one without the other when you're talking about the spiritual discipline. It is silence and it is solitude. How much of our day is spent talking? Maybe you're not verbally talking, but maybe it's the conversations going on in your head. Everything's just firing all the time. How much of our day is filled with talking with busy minds? Do we ever take time to listen? The silence and solitude is a reminder for us to hold our tongue and to listen. In fact, Richard Foster speaks of the tongue in this way. And if you want to read about holding your tongue, the book of James speaks to this very clearly. But the tongue is a thermometer. It gives us a spiritual temp temperature, but it's also a thermostat. It regulates our spiritual temp temperature. Control of the tongue can mean everything. Isn't that interesting? That how we speak and how much we speak and what we speak is a reflection of our inner spirit, but it also perpetuates things in our life. Negativity. 
if you speak constant negative things, then it would show people that, wow, this person really has a negative outlook. But you know, the danger of that is it's a, it's a cycle. Negativity begets more negativity. It births more negativity. Things that we speak into being with our voice and with our words have power. Words have power. Speech has power. That's where you get the old adage, the, the pen is mightier than the sword. Words have great power. As a parent, perhaps you've said this or you heard it from one of your parents or a teacher that you have one mouth and two ears for a reason. Everybody heard that? You have one mouth and two ears for a reason. So therefore, you should listen twice as much as you speak. But how many of us actually follow that advice? We should listen twice as much as we speak. See, solitude is really about listening. It's not just going to be alone. It's about listening. It's about turning off the mouth for a moment and listening to the world and to God. How often do we miss the voice of God because we're just too busy talking? Isn't it irony that when we have those moments in our lives, we're like, God, where are you? I've been praying to you time and time again. Where are you? Where is your answer? Had one of those moments? Maybe you're in one now. But then if you reflect on that moment, you realize that you spend the entire time talking. And maybe even your prayers to God are more demands and a list of, I want you to take care of this, 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 or this. Do you make time for listening for God to even answer? Or are you like my four-year-old who asks me a question then runs off and doesn't wait for the answer? And then gets frustrated because I don't give him the answer. But how often are we those four-year-olds asking a question and not daring to listen to the answer? Because we're just too afraid of the silence. Keith, I think you're going to need to advance the slide for me on this one. There's an interesting story in 1 Kings in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah is in one of these horrible times. I mean, it's tough being the voice of God, just so you know. So if God ever calls you to be a prophet, I'd really look at the job description first. I'm not saying not to do it, but just know what you're getting yourself into, that you may not be liked. In fact, so often the prophets are not liked by the people because the people don't want to hear what they have to say. And Elijah is one of those prophets. People didn't like what they had to say, and they're killing prophets left and right. And so he flees for his life, and he flees to a cave, and he's pouring his heart out to God. So I want to read this passage. There, came to, there he came to a cave, speaking of Elijah, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a whisper. And when Elijah heard it, 
he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? When did Elijah hear the voice of God? After the fire in the silence, right? It wasn't in the destructive power of the wind, the mighty wind, breaking rocks. That's not where God was. Not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in the silence. How often do we seek God in the wind and the earthquake and the fire? Show us a mighty sign. And so then we go out into the hubbub, into the crowd, in our over-busy schedules, seeking God as if we're going to find God in the busyness. Praying the whole time, where are you, God? But have we tried the silence? Have we dared to quiet our life for long enough to hear a whisper? God speaks so often in the whispers of life. Are we brave enough to seek God in the silence? But you see, it's not always about finding our cave. Sometimes it's important for us to go and actually isolate ourselves and be alone. Maybe there's a bench out in nature where very few people go by. Maybe it's at home, you have a special place. Maybe it's the quiet hours in the morning before everybody else wakes up. Maybe you have to find a closet because that's the only place you can find the silence. That's fine. Sometimes we have to seek those. But you know what? Solitude is not just about retreating from life all the time. That can be a helpful tool. Solitude is something that actually happens in our heart and in our minds. Richard Foster says this, Solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. There is a solitude of the heart that can be maintained at all times. Crowds or the lack of them have little to do with this inward attentiveness. It's quite possible to be a desert hermit and never experience solitude. But if we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. Neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence. Isn't that fascinating? It's a state of mind, it's a state of heart, this solitude, so that we don't always have to retreat Sometimes it's just an inner focus as we go about our busy lives, seeking to hear God and see God through his lens for the world. Because let's be clear, solitude is not about shunning community. Everybody's going to say, well, I guess we're just not going to come back next week because we're just going to go to solitude. We're going to do what you say. I mean, no, community is important. As we spoke earlier, we are built for community. But solitude is really speaking to this balance in our lives. Are we so overburdened with community and busyness of community that we're missing the God of our community? In his great work, you hear me probably quote him a lot because I really like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but one of his best books, it's a small book that I recommend to anybody, is called Life Together. And he has two chapters, and well, he has more than two chapters in the book. But there's two chapters in particular, that there's the day together and then the day alone. The day together and the day alone, because both are 
important. And he has this word of caution to people. Let's see. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Do you hear his word of caution? That if you love the busyness in your life so much, then you risk of falling into this, the words and feelings, and it's all just about what you're saying and how you're connecting to the world. But then if you seek solitude over fellowship with others, then it all really becomes about yourself. It's about a balance, seeking the balance. And I would vow to say that most of us probably seek the noise more than we do the solitude. Just looking at our way of living in our own country and our culture. Solitude is really about striking a balance in our lives. It's a oneness with the world and with the creator of our world. But this can be extremely challenging. Solitude, silence, and waiting. Especially when we hit a difficult time, can it? When we hit a difficult time, we just want to do. We want to fix it. We want to find a way or we want to forget it and just go away. Do we really want to settle into that moment? Richard Foster speaks of these moments that we call the dark night of the soul. And actually, it's a phrase that comes from St. John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul. And what's interesting about it is that it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily meant to be a completely bad thing. And so I want, instead of trying to paraphrase it, I want to read this to you. To take seriously the discipline of solitude will mean that at some point or points along our pilgrimage, we will enter what St. John of the Cross vividly describes as the dark night of the soul. What does the dark night of the soul involve? We may have a sense of dryness, aloneness, even lostness. Any over-dependence on the emotional life is stripped away. The notion, often heard today, that such experiences should be avoided and that we always should live in peace and comfort, joy and celebration, only betrays the fact that much contemporary experience is surface slush. That's a harsh statement. The dark night is one of the ways God brings us into a hush, a stillness, so that he may work an inner transformation upon our soul. When God lovingly draws us into a dark night of the soul, there's often a temptation to seek release from it and to blame everyone and everything for our inner dullness. The preacher is such a bore. The hymn singing is just too weak. The worship service is so dull. We may begin to look around for another church or a new experience to give us spiritual goosebumps. Here's what he says. This is a serious mistake. Recognize the dark night for what it is. Be grateful that God is lovingly drawing you away from every distraction so that you can see him clearly. Rather than chafing and fighting, become still and wait. 
how often are we looking for that next spiritual high? Because we just don't want to sit in the moment of waiting. Because maybe God at times calls us into this dark night of the soul, the things that we so want to get away from because it's the only way to get us to stop and be still for a moment. Because everything that we keep drawing our attention toward is stripped away. Because is it about the stuff and the things, or is it about God? Solitude is drawing us into the presence of God. It's about slowing down. It's about waiting. It's about being silent. It's about listening. Because in the silence, we just might hear God. Let us go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are, that you love us so deeply. And we ask that you would help draw us into moments of solitude. Maybe it's not getting away physically, but maybe it's a state of mind and heart that draws us into your way of seeing the world. And that for a moment, we shut our mouths. We stop talking, thinking around every little angle, and we just listen. And we pray that in those moments that we would hear your voice, we would hear your call, that we would experience the abundant life that you call us to. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever.